Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't you uh, open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. It's been a long time since I preached on a Sunday morning, and uh, my daughter Gretchen said, Hey, Dad, remember, you get really intense and sound mean, so keep it lively. So I'm going to try to be uplifting. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about how to bring out the best in others. And um, first, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 4, let me give you a little background on First Thessalonians. Uh, Paul started this church in, uh, on a second missionary journey just before he went to um, Athens. There was one stop in between, you can read it in Acts chapter 17. Uh, he was probably only there a month, and there was all sorts of uproar, and they kind of got him out of town because he was, he was in trouble. But the, so the Thessalonians didn't get a whole lot of, of good teaching and doctrine, and they were all worried about uh, uh, that the Lord would, had come back and left them. They got left behind. So Paul is writing to them and encouraging them to, that everything's going to be okay. And he, at this point, during these first 12 verses, I'm not going to read them all because I realize I've got to be fast. I usually preach a lot longer, and I've got to be fast. So we'll read the verses as we go through and fill in your outlines. But he is trying to encourage them and exhort them. You see, Paul had went around winning people to Christ. That's one of the things we're supposed to do. That's hard, part of the Great Commission, right? We win people to Christ, and then we make those people into disciples of Christ that they can make more disciples. That's how we got here. That's how, if you're a believer this morning, if, you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, somebody taught somebody who taught somebody, and it just keeps going and growing and growing. That's what Paul's trying to do here. He's making disciples. In fact, that's one of the things we need to, to do. Um, I'm, we're sitting here thinking this morning, we've been associated with the Bales since about 1993. Yeah, 1990, that's a long time. And a pastor has put into our life Pastor Charlotte have, have, have poured into our lives and helped us to be uh, better and better disciples. You think Cindy is kind of funny talking now? She would never have talked before. She would have just passed out and died right on the floor. Um, she's really good with kids. She, she relates, and it works out well. But you see, we are, are they have discipled us. That's a, a church word that we use about teaching people and grow, helping them grow and, and pouring into them, helping them be followers of Christ. And, and, and I got to tell you that, that Pastor and Charlotte and many others who have poured into our lives, there's times that we just needed inspiration. They needed to bring out the best in us. And you know what? As you and I are discipling others, as you and I are pouring into others' lives, as we are trying to help them become radical followers of Jesus Christ, there are going to be times when we need to inspire them. We see we must inspire our disciples. So this morning I'm going to give you a few things really quickly on how we can do that. All right, I've got to pull this thing out so I know what holes to fill for you. Here we go. How do we inspire? How do we encourage? How do we lift up? How do we bring out the best in our disciples? First thing, by motivating them. Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. 
for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. little supporting verse here. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. You see, we have got to motivate our disciples beyond their present horizon. You, have you guys ever got into a rut? You know what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends kicked out. You know, you get doing the same things over and over and over again, and you just kind of see down this one little little stretch of road, and it just all looks the same. And, and it, you need some motivation. You need to look beyond those horizons. I came back from our quickie cruise. Um, we had a good time. And uh, we came back, and on my desk is a set of plans for the core project, the initial plans. Our engineer was out walking out there going, and I, I know what he's thinking. He's thinking the county really messed us up and is making all the water come back this way instead of going out where it's supposed to. I don't know if we can get any relief from the county. We have a core project to develop our fields and the football fields and soccer fields. And, you know, we don't think about that thing most of the time. Most of the time we just think, oh, man, i got to mow that again. You see, if we want to develop our disciples, we have to have them look beyond their present horizon. Uh, it was real fun. We went to the Seminole Reservation with the youth group this year, and uh, we, our young people went down and ministered. And now our kids are kind of used to it because we've done it a couple times. And I mean, throughout the years, the first time we ever did it was 1999, and our kids are kind of used to it. But Zachary, my son, brought some kids from his youth group. They were overwhelmed. It was so funny. One of their kids would, would, would stand out and practice how to lead a kid to Christ, and that kid got to lead somebody to Christ. See, they'd never thought about th doing these things. You see, to develop your disciples, to inspire them, you have to help them to look past their, their present horizon. Paul does three things in this verse to motivate the Thessalonians. He appeals to the highest calling, pleasing God. Many of you have heard me say many, many times that we have to, uh, that, that our whole job as believers is to obey GC squared. We're to obey the great commandment, loving God and loving people. And then we are to obey the Great Commission, making disciples who make disciples. So what we're doing here, what Paul's doing, he says in, in, in uh, verse 1, Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, who? By the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's appealing them to the highest calling of pleasing God. So everything that we do, everything that we, we say, everything that uh, is all about us should be in a perspective of pleasing God of loving him and loving others tomorrow we feed the homeless coalition keep that in mind we got to, we'll start cooking tomorrow afternoon and and uh, i've got to take the meat out of the freezer somebody re remind me later so it can thaw making meatloaf and potatoes and all that good stuff what do we do there we love other people some of those people are there, have been there we've been there a year and they're there every time we go those of you who've been serving know that but we love people that's what core project, that's what the, our good news club, it's about loving people and loving God. And he's appealing to the highest calling. Whatever you do, please God. And he does it positively. He says, you are here now. And he talks about your walk. What does it say? For you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Walk. Now, we get this picture modern day English of strolling together 
my wife and I strolled the boat not too long ago up and down stairs and back and forth and, and we saw lots of sights it was a, it was fun but this word at this time and the meaning of this word in the Greek is, is actually it's to live life it's to live the Hebrew explains that you when you walk with God you're living with God you're doing life with God and that's what he's appealing to hey do your highest, your highest calling please God walk with God he explains that growth is a process about more and more verse 1 says <laughs> the young man's going to be baptized a little bit later he doesn't know what somebody who has walked with God for 20 30 40 years knows but he's going to learn more and more and more I'm learning more and more and more every day and you should be learning more and more it's a process don't get don't don't get discouraged if you don't know everything learn it you can always add more and more verse 4 he goes on and and or I'm sorry in verse 2 he goes on to show them that they will fulfill Christ's commands look at verse 2 for ye know what commandments we have given you by the Lord Jesus you know what if we are walking with God if we are doing all we can to please God, if we, we are, 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 are motivated, what happens then is we obey. We obey loving God, loving people, making disciples to make disciples. We obey the rest of those commandments. Not, not out of a, a, a duty, but out of a love. Second thing, how do we motivate? How do we, how do we uh, bring out the best? How do we inspire? We have to teach them. Verse 3 to 8. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, nice word, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, and we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto his, us his Holy Spirit. Matthew 28 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Psalm 27, 11, teach me my, thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Here's the thing. Motivation, which was the first point, without education is nothing but hype. How many of y'all ever played sports? Got a coach in there. He's just getting you all fired up and all fired up, and then you go running out on the field, and you don't know what to do. You're in trouble, right? I've seen it in church things. Uh, I wasn't a believer at this time. Uh, I was in the Air Force, and uh, this kid that was my roommate, he was a strange guy. I tried to stay away from him as much as possible. When he first got there, he was kind of doing this Buddhist thing, and he had a little shrine and stuff. And, and then he got saved. And, man, he was zealous, and he ran after me, and he started telling me all this stuff. He didn't know what he was talking about, though. I mean, I wasn't even a believer, and I knew more than he did. He was motivated but he had no education. It was nothing but hype. You see, 
Paul motivated the Thessalonians, now he was going to educate them on the will of God. Now, it's funny that the first thing he does is he talks about abstaining from fornication. And you have to understand what's going on. You guys think we live in such a wild and weird world. Thessalonica was a wild and weird town. Okay? The average man would have a wife. But he'd also have a, a mistress. And, and when they went to worship, there were temple prostitutes. So really, sexual purity didn't even exist. And look how, God, how Paul ex- teaches this to these Thessalonians. He explains God's will in verse 3. <laughs> Listen to it. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. He teaches them that we are to be set apart. Now, I'm going to talk about this a couple times. Set apart means separated, right? Not isolated. We are to be set apart to holiness, to be a purity. We are to be pure and we are to be holy. We're not to be isolated and, and, and away from everybody. He tells us we are to avoid fornication. The Greek word for fornication is pornea. It's, it's anything outside the, uh, uh, the confines of marriage, any sexual activity outside the confines of, of marriage. And it can go and apply to some of the most bizarre things uh, ever. And if any of you have ever traveled the world, there are some bizarre things going on out there. It's any sex outside of marriage. Sex is one of the most wonderful things that God has ever created, but he created it to be between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. And the Bible is teaching that we are to be both pure in, 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 in both mind and body. And then he tells it with them with a great conviction. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That word concupiscence, that's an English word that I don't think anybody ever uses unless they read a King James Bible. We don't, I mean, you ask anybody, I, probably most people in here don't know what that word means, so I'm going to tell you what it means. It comes from a Greek word, epithuma, and I probably pronounced that wrong. It's a desire, a craving, a longing, a desire for that which is forbidden. It's lust. It's wanting that stuff that you're not supposed to have. Evilly, evil, lust of concupiscence. Just got to have that that we're not supposed to have. And he goes on, and not only does he explain it, he, he teaches the, what's wrong. He, he goes and he, he tells it with great conviction, but he explains that teaching with compassion. Look at verses 6 to 8. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He, therefore, that despises, despises not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Once again, he's starting to talk about, about that separation, that separation from the unholy to the holy, from the impure to the pure. Folks, that's what separation's about. It's not about isolating ourselves from this world. How can we ever reach this world, be obedient to God and making disciples, if we're isolated? 
it's a challenge. That, that's why, you know what, young people are able to win more people to Christ than anybody else? Because they're around more lost people. The older you get, the fewer people you know that don't know Christ. And the, 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 the more comfortable you get in not going out and sharing Christ, even with those people that you meet every day. See, we got to be separated. No, we have to separate ourselves from impurity to, to purity. Remember the little song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine? Not Under a Basket. That comes out of, by the way, that song is pretty biblical. It comes out of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We have that, if we have our holiness, we have our purity, if we have our uh, God living out through our lives, and we separate ourselves, it's like putting our, uh, a basket over a candle. No one can see it. We have to let that shine. We have to let our holiness, we have to let our purity, what God has tr done in transforming us to shine. Little side note there. Let me go on. When Paul explains this, he says, listen, be careful of this, this fornication. Be careful of these things because, you see, if it harms others, it's going to harm you. It will give you an inconsistent testimony, and it shows a rejection of God. You see, when we are not separated unto holiness, when we are not separated unto purity, it hurts others. And it hurts ourselves. And it gives you an inconsistent testimony. By the word, way, inconsistent testimony, modern word, most used word for that is hypocrite. It makes you a hypocrite, and no, you have no, you have no credibility with anyone, and it's a rejection of God. We were on the boat. Cynthia loves ice cream. And they gave her lots of ice cream. They had a ice cream thing, and she kept going back. Her, her, uh, her idea of ice cream is that it doesn't take up any space. It just fills in all the cracks when you eat. So all we did was eat. But, uh, man, I'm going to go fast for a week just to try to get back to normal. But have you ever seen a big bowl of ice cream? Or maybe even a, an ice cream cone? And uh, you'd have that ice cream cone, and somebody else has licked all over it. And then they hand it to you. If it's not your kid or grandkid, I don't want it. And I really don't want it with my kid or grandkid. I'm watching my grandkid. He's starting to slobber and do all of that. Do you want to eat used ice cream? No, we want to be pure. We want to be holy. We don't want to be used ice cream. So how do we inspire our disciples? How do we motivate? Well, we, we, how do we do that? Well, hey, we bring out the best of others by, by motivating them. By teaching them, number three, by affirming them, verse 9 and 10. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all of Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Paul takes what they're doing, he affirms them, in their point of greatest progress. He says, you guys are so, you love people so much, you're doing so well in that. You know, when you want to inspire somebody, and if you're a good coach, and I'm not a good coach sometimes, I, I tend to, 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 to do the motivation, the teaching, and then 
going right down to the correcting, not the affirming. Affirming, you want to, to, to build them up. You want to, to take what they're doing really well. And you want to encourage them in that. This church tends to love people. They love teenagers. This, the, you are so gracious and you give so much to our young people to allow them to do some of the things. And, and believe me, our young people are developing and they're doing amazing things. Tell you, you do good with that. And we need to, if you're going to inspire someone, you need to take what they're doing good and build upon that. He's specific. And he shows them what God's best is for them. He says, keep doing it. Keep loving. Increase that love more and more. I want to challenge you. Increase your love for others more and more and more. When you see those little kids, when you see those teenagers, when you see anybody, love on them. Care for them. Not, a, not just the handshake and how are you, but can I pray for you? Can I do something for you? Can I re really care? He affirms them. Not only does he affirm them, verses 11 to 12, he corrects them. He says, and ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work your, with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. After Paul motivates them and he teaches them and he affirms them, now he's going to correct them. He says, look, there's some attitudes, there's some actions that are kind of hindering your spiritual progress. You see, they had the wrong view of the Lord's day, the Lord's coming back. They thought they were missing it. What they were doing, they were hanging out. They quit work. They were waiting. They are waiting. They are just hanging out, waiting. Come on, Lord. Come on back today. I think some of us do that. We look around at what's happening in our world, and instead of going out and being aggressively uh, evangelizing and loving and teaching and, 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 and trying to make disciples, we go, come on, Lord, just come back today. We have some of that same attitude. Paul's trying to correct them. He corrects them practically. He says, live a quiet life. I love Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. He wants them to lead a quiet life, that, that they're not running all over the place here and there. Oh, what a terrible world we live in. It's the end of the world if things are terrible. Stop. Yes. And by the way, the world's always been terrible. You're talking about people here who are mostly slaves. They, their, their lives were so much worse than anything we can even imagine. And he didn't tell them to quit life. He told them to get involved in life. Tells them, don't be running back at home. Stay ho back and forth. Stay home and mind your own business. I love that. Did you know it's biblical to mind your own business? Next time you tell your kid, you go to mind your own business. That's biblical. You can quote him, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He also corrects them very precisely. He says, mind your own business. Take care of your things. Take care of the things that you're supposed to take care of. Don't worry about everybody else. By the way, Jesus told that to Peter at the end of John. You know, they're having that little, little lunch on the beach, and Peter 
he keeps challenging Peter about loving him. And he says, and then Peter looks over and points to John, what about him? Peter said, don't worry about what he's going to do. You just take care of your business. Dale's paraphrase. We need to mind our own business. He corrects them positionally. He says, work with your own hands. And he gives them the reason so that they are not dependent but have a good testimony. What's happened to our work ethic? We are losing our work ethic in this country. You see, in this passage, Paul shows us how to inspire our disciples. He motivated them. He motivated by telling the Thessalonians that their lives please God. He taught them that God demands sexual purity. He affirmed them by telling them that their, their, their love was awesome. And he corrected them. And he tells them to be responsible and to make an impact. You see, if we are going to inspire people, we must motivate before we instruct. We must instruct before we affirm. We must affirm before we redirect. And we must correct with the motivation in view. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there needs to be somebody in your life that you are inspiring, that you are discipling, that you are pouring your life into to help them grow. That's part of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. If you're here this morning, you may need someone to disciple you. And you know what? There are plenty of people here that can do that. But you may be here this morning and none of this applies to you because you're not a follower of Christ. You're not a believer yet. Oh, you may be religious. You may attend church on a consistent basis, and, and you may do, check all the boxes, but you don't really know Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you, 1981, uh, I was religious. Um, I knew all the stuff you needed to know, um, but... On first Sunday of March, 1981, um, I went forward and said, I think I need to get baptized. I'd only been in church about a month at that point. And the guy said, well, well, he took me aside and started taking me through the Romans Road. And I realized, oh, you're a sinner? Yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. No doubt about it, buddy. I'm a big sinner. Um, and then he, he went on and he goes, well, you know that Jesus Christ died and uh, was buried and he rose again that he loves you that, that he did that but God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners Christ died for us I said yes I know that I believe that he said huh he goes you know the wages of sin is death that means you you're going to be separated from God forever I said yeah but the gift of God's eternal life I said yeah through Jesus right because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and he forgave everybody's sins that's true right uh, and then he went on and said, if you confess with your, your mouth and, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Yeah, I got all that. Then he came to Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's not a time in your life, even if you believe all those other things, if there's not a time in your life 
where by faith you called out to Jesus Christ to ask him to be your savior, you're just spinning your wheels. You're going through the motions. That morning I called out. There was something that happened to me. I changed on the inside. Didn't happen so much on the outside. There was another several years of me trying to do my own thing. I was saved. If I died, I would have gone to heaven, but I didn't. That morning I asked Christ to be my Savior. I didn't ask him to be my Lord. About three years later, I asked him to be my Lord, and I have followed him passionately ever since. You're here this morning, and you've never had that time where you've called out on Christ. In just a minute, we're going to do something old-fashioned called a, uh, an invitation. Um, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song, and the aisles are open. If you've never made that decision to call on Christ as your Savior, somebody here will open a Bible, and they will show you how you can know for sure that heaven's your home. See, that's the first step. And then there'll be people who will come alongside you, and they will inspire you, and they will correct you, and they will affirm you, and they will teach you, and they will motivate you to follow Christ. You see, there's nothing better than following Christ. There's no greater adventure. There's nothing, there's no greater reward than to give your life to follow Christ. Let's bow our heads. Let's just stand and we'll bow our heads and I'll pray.